As we turn to Haggai, and as we get very close to finishing our walk through the Old Testament, before we get to the New, we find ourselves with an opportunity. Haggai gives us an opportunity. It's an opportunity to evaluate our lives and evaluate our church and and see how are we doing. See, Haggai writes because there is a remodeling project. There's renovation work that needs to be done among the people of God, individually and corporately. There's a renovation project. I've mentioned before, my wife loves watching the Home and Garden Network, right? HGTV. I don't know what the Norwegian equivalent is of that. Um, I'm sure there is one. Um, she, you know, her and her dad, they could talk about like things you can do to a place and how to fix it up. They love, they love that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of people in this age love doing that kind of stuff. Uh, and in fact, I mean, you can think of the modern house as the modern temple. It's really what, how somebody keeps their house and what that looks like says a lot about who they are, doesn't it? And it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, I just think if I was a businessman, I think being in the, like the HGTV kind of world would be a very lucrative business. I just, I think about the, the money behind the shows that's producing in one another uh, as you watch, just like a dissatisfaction with how things are. And okay, I need to do this and then I'm going to be happy. And we have the whole world is in the pursuit of building their personal temples. And yet it's all folly. The exact same thing is happening to the Israelites. Haggai is one of the post-exilic prophets. So he's one of the prophets that God used to call his people to repentance after the exile. So as we come to Haggai, we're finding God's people relocated back into the promised land. But there's a problem. God's house is not being built. While God's people, God's external people, are putting all of their efforts into their own life pursuits. And so when we come to Israel in Haggai, we come to Stavanger. Right? We come to the Western world and the Western mindset. You know, I had a, a, a biblical hermeneutics, a, a biblical interpretation professor, uh, to use a layman's term, uh, say that, you know, when you go to Corinth, it's incredibly relevant because Corinth is in Chicago and Chicago is in Corinth. This is where he was saying it when I was in, in seminary in Chicago. It's like you come to these texts of scripture and like they are, when you get to the spiritual problem, they are perennially relevant for us. And here today, we're going to see just how relevant that is as we learn about the renovation that we need individually and as a church. And there's a word for every one of us this morning. We're going to see three aspects of renovation in Haggai. The first is that we need a renovation of our life goals. We need a renovation 
of our life goals. And we see this in chapter 1. And please keep Haggai open. We'll look at some of the passages and uh, verses along the way. As we come to chapter 1, we immediately see a problem and God raises up Haggai to rebuke the Israelites for this problem. God's rebuke is this. You are building the wrong house. You are building the wrong house. We read in in chapter uh, 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And we're going to see these names mentioned. So we've got the governor and the high priest in the sites, as well as all the people. In verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then in verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And we see two major problems in these opening verses. Number one, God's people are busying themselves with their own projects so that they're saying they don't have time to do God's work. They don't have time to do God's work. And then secondly, and related to that, they are living in luxury while God's house lies in ruins. Two of the most common complaints I hear in the church today for people that are struggling is, I don't have time, I'm too busy to go to church, I'm too busy to serve. And then if you real discipleship, you start asking them, are you giving to the Lord? I don't have money to give. I don't have anything to give to the Lord. It's just too tight. But if you were to pry into your discretionary expenditures, it's amazing how it seems almost anyone has plenty of money. It's not a problem of money. It's the problem of what you choose to do with your money. It's a, it's a problem of prioritization, both of money and of time. And we have this phrase here, paneled houses. You might have read that and wondered, well, what, what on earth is a paneled house? Uh, a paneled house is uh, basically in, in Israel, wood is very, very scarce. And so a paneled house is actually a sign of luxury or sign of wealth. It's kind of a sign to show that you got it. Okay, one commentator said that the paneled houses described in 1.4 probably had walls and ceilings covered with cedar wood. Such decoration was a sign of prosperity in a land where wood was scarce. The people were spending freely on their own homes while neglecting the rebuilding of the temple. So right here at the beginning, we are indicted with the use of our time and the use of our resources. And we need to ask ourselves, how, how's it going for you? How's it going for us? The Israelites had one main charge when they went back, and that was to rebuild the temple. And they're sitting around saying, oh, I don't got the time. It's not the time 
to do that. We'll do it later. And they're saying, well, we don't got the funds to do it. It's because they're spending it on other things. This is a major problem in the Western church. It's a major problem. You know, when we look at statistics on giving as an example, and if uh, you know, we use 10% as kind of a base giving principle in the, in the, uh, in the Bible, we see the average, the average giving is maybe around 2 to 3% rather than 10% for a person. And some give more, some give less, some don't give at all. But how is that going to... How's that going to go for the people of God and for his house? If we continue like that, how's it going to go for our own souls? What does that say about what we believe about God and about ourselves? Also, with, with time, people's commitment to give time to the church is going down and down and down. Even before Corona happened, but after Crony and I talked to pastors around the world, attendance is way down after Corona. That people, God's people have grown lazy. You know, I, as I look at our landscape here in, in Norway, there seems to be a sleepiness that comes upon people. That it's like Norway is the land of the perpetual vacation. I mean, it, there's so many wonderful things to do all, all around. But God's called us to give him one day in seven for worship. To come to his house. The way we build today is with our spiritual gifts when we gather together. And we're saying, I don't have time. And now all of a sudden the Lord's worship is treated as an optional add-on. It's like treated like your pottery club. Or your, arts and or your arts and crafts club. Well, I'll go when it's convenient for me. I simply say with the prophet, is it a time? Is it such a time to live this way or to live that way? We need a renovation of our life goals. The prophet goes on then, or the Lord, I should say the Lord through the prophet, to say, well, how's it going for you living the way you want to live? Dwelling in your paneled houses, not having time for God, not having time for his work. How is it going for you? We read in verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. I can tell you from personal experience, when I've chosen to ignore God, and when I've chosen to just do my own thing, Verse 6 is exactly what happens. And we should, lest we're tempted to just take this too literally, think of the spiritual aspect of what he's saying. When, I, when I've chosen to ignore God, my life is not better. My life is more miserable. I'm not happier. I am 
more, I'm just worse off. I'm not wealthier. I'm more poor because I'm spending stuff on what I don't need to be. I'm investing my emotions and passions in stuff that can't satisfy. And God calls us here to consider our ways. And then to do a renovation work, we have a call to renewal in our life goal in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. God is calling us back to man's chief end. Man's chief end, as we confess as uh, Presbyterians, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is not to glorify man. Man's chief end is to not find pleasure in man. Our chief end is to glorify God, and our chief pleasure is in the enjoyment of Him. If we want to have a life that satisfies, we will find a life enjoying God. And the way we enjoy God is by doing His work, by building His house. And today as God's people, we know that God's house, it's not a material building, but it's the church. The church is the living temple. The church is the spiritual dwelling place of God. And the New Testament is filled with commands and how we are called to build and serve one another. And in doing that, we bring glory to God and we find joy and fulfillment in our lives. For me, the most meaningful and lasting friendships that I've had and the most joyful memories that I've had have been in serving side by side with others in ministry. And this, this wasn't just when I was a pastor. It was before I was a pastor, too. This is a call for all Christians. If you want to live a joy-filled life, you find it in glorifying God by building up the body, by serving Him. The, the temple work that Haggai is pointing to is not merely brick and mortar for a temple that's going to be built for a while and torn down but for God's spiritual and eternal dwelling place with his people. So if we want to find that lasting joy, we will do so by renovating our life goals. So I want you to to think about, you know, each, each one of you has a different calling in life. God's placed each of you in different places. We all come, most of us come from different countries, which is one of the really cool things I love about our church. We have so many backgrounds uh, that we come from, but yet we're united together in Christ. But each of you has a different calling. You have a different job. You have different life situations. You have different family dynamics. You have different work dynamics. You have different health dynamics. But God has placed each of you strategically in different places to glorify him. You know, how is it that we build, friends? Is not the chief thing for all of us to make disciples? 
That's the, that's the church's mission. It's not just the pastor's mission. It's all of our missions. We're going to see God's people come be brought into this in, in short uh, course. That's our work, friends. And we can use our jobs and we can use our social positions, our social status, whatever it is we have, either for ourselves to live in paneled houses and to put our resources in a bag with holes in it, or we can use it to bring glory to God and find joy in a treasure that will last for this life and the life to come. As our Lord Jesus said, put your treasure in heaven, right? Where rust can't corrode, where moths can't eat away your goods, where food doesn't go bad. Let's put it there. I would encourage you and and implore you to consider your life goals and what does it mean to serve God in your setting that he's called you to. And then in turn, what does that mean for us as a church in our setting to prioritize God and his glory and how we serve together as well? So, Haggai shows the church that we need a renovation of our life goals. How did God's people respond? We see in verse 12 that Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And then the people feared the Lord. So they obeyed the voice of the Lord and they feared God. And I pray that as I have the privilege to preach Haggai to you today, that the Lord would use this to renew and renovate our souls to be reinvigorated in the work of building God's house here in this church that he's called us to do. Secondly, in the promise In God's response to the people, he says in verse 13, I am with you, declares the Lord. And we read that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and he stirred up the spirit of Joshua and he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So my prayer as I preach these hard words to us, that the Lord would use them to stir us up to action. I see 2023 for our church as a year of opportunity. It's a year to grow. You know, as I look over the the last uh, year or so, I feel like we've been doing a lot of treading water. Some people are here, some people are going. We've had people coming and people going Part of that is the reality of being an an international church where you have people working and and going. But I would love, and my prayer is that we would double in size this year. But not just have more numbers, that our spiritual depth would also increase. And the way that that's going to happen is by obeying the Lord, showing up, and being ready to serve God's people. And not just on the Lord's Day, but reprioritizing our lives on the other days which are also his, and seeking to serve him where he's placed us.
And God is with us, friends. He is with us. He says, I am with you. Even as Jesus tells us in the Great Commission, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we need a renovation of our life goals. Secondly, we need a renovation of our attitudes. We need a renovation of our attitudes, of our feelings, of our affections. Chapter 2. God again calls Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and to all the remnant of the people. And in verse 3, say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? Is it not nothing in your eyes? Yet be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. I'm picking up various phrases, of course, from the text, not reading it uh, verbatim. But think about what's going on here in this context. Why are the people just sitting around sloughing off? I think a big part of it is they're like, well, I think the best days are behind us. And they just kind of grow tired and weary. You know, when it seems like the work is not being fruitful, it's really easy to give up, isn't it? When I think about the, the stock market, most people invest when the market is high because it looks like it's going good. And then the market drops and they sell. So they're buying high and selling low. That's completely inverted. Fortunes are made by buying when everyone else is afraid. In the same way, the best fruit is earned in the valley, not on the mountaintop. The best fruit is made in the valley, not on the mountain. I mean, what's on the mountaintop? Just rock. You can't have a harvest up there. But down in the valley, that's where the crops can be sown and the harvest can be made. And God brings his people into dark valleys, sometimes even the valley of the shadow of death, to make us fruitful. And these people are looking around, they're seeing just a pile of rubble and saying, well, I can think of better ways to spend my time. You know, and as we look at the church in the West, as we look at the church, the state of the church here where God has us, there's a lot of rubble, isn't there? I mean, look at our church. We're not this giant church with 100 programs and every kind of entertainment to meet your every want and need and a social program. We're, we're a very ordinary group of people gathering, right? This is the day of small things, right? There's not widespread revival breaking out over the country. Say, okay, that looks like a that looks like a profitable thing to do. I'm gonna join into that. No, this is the day of small things. And it can be easy to get discouraged. It can be very easy to get discouraged. I think that might be why some are not returning to church after Corona. And I know I've spoken to many pastors who are very discouraged at the state of their congregations. Because people aren't coming. And it seems like, what's the point? 
So we need to ask ourselves, we need to check our attitudes. As we look around, do we, just, do we see the mission here in Norway as a losing proposition? Do we see our church building work here together as, eh? Or do we see with God's eyes to know that there's a greater glory yet to come that will be that we are a part of in doing this. We read in verse 8, well, excuse me, back up in verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry lands, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. Shalom, declares the Lord of hosts. So God's people need a check on their attitudes. The work that we do, even in the day of small things, is a work that's going to lead to a greater glory than anything that is in our past. And so the call is to be strong. Be strong. Be courageous. It's a call to the governor who's ruling over the people. Be strong. It's a call to the pastors, right? the high priest, the clergy. Be strong. And it's a call to every one of us, all the remnant of the people. Be strong. Work. For I am with you. Fear not. My spirit remains in your midst. So we need a renovation of our hearts, friends. Are we willing to do the work or not? The key is to see with God's vision what's coming. And this kingdom that's coming that we're a part of is a kingdom that is greater than anything in the past. The glory of the latter temple will be greater And that glory is us, friends. God's glory in us as the church. This people from every tribe and tongue and nation. The heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God. So friends, be strong. Thirdly and finally, we need a renovation of our worship. We need a renovation of our worship. God rebukes his people again in chapter 2, verse 10 and following, saying that my people are unclean. I'm putting this in my own words and then I'll show you the text. My people are unclean and offer vain worship because my house is not built. So we have a problem of vain worship and uncleanliness of defilement that's going on among God's people. God sends Haggai to the people once again. 
And he's giving them, he's going to talk to the priests, which is going to become analogy for the state of the people. In verse 11, Haggai says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold uh, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. What he offers there is unclean. One commentator says that the lack of holiness and the presence of devilement is not due to the impropriety of current sacrifices, but rather to the fact that they permit a ruinous corpse, the unfinished temple, to remain in their midst. And so the temple being in, in rubble is like a dead corpse. And he's saying, you as God's people are defiled because you are allowing this to remain in your midst and yet offering worship that is vain. So do you get what's going on here? You have God's people coming and giving lip service to God and yet ignoring his plain teachings and commands. So we can come on Sunday and worship, but if we're ignoring God's commands throughout the week, it's completely vanity. We're coming as defiled people, unholy and unclean, acting like God's not going to notice. Just showing up doesn't mean anything if we're not coming with hearts that have been renovated by the Spirit and hearts that are filled with repentance and faith and desire to obey and follow God's commands. There's a bit of a uh, top and tail to Haggai in, uh, in respect to what we see happening in the first part of Haggai happens here at the end, and again, we see this call to consider our ways. Read in verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat and draw fifty measures, to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. This is the reason why we read in verse 17. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. So again, he's calling God's people to consider, how's it going for you? 
And nevertheless, we are given a promise at the end. But from this day on, I will bless you. When God's people get back to work, there is a blessing. And Haggai concludes with this ultimate blessing that God is going to rebuild the ultimate house. That is the house of David. That is the messianic kingdom that at this point in time in Haggai is passing through Zerubbabel. And so we have this promise in verse 21 again. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down and every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. And what we have here at the end of, of Haggai is the promise that is picked up in Matthew 1 in the genealogy when we read about the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that this one who is going to come to bring this unshakable kingdom is Christ the Lord. We have the privilege and the luxury, friends, to be living in the times when that greater glory is unfolding before our eyes. God is building his church. While in the West, it seems like the faith is diminishing, in the global South, the faith is spreading like wildfire. And we need to make a choice then as Christians in the West, will we be those that Jesus talks about, the love of many will grow cold and fall away? Or will we be renewed and renovate our souls that we might be fellow partakers of that future glory with Jesus Christ. I want to conclude by just drawing attention to Hebrews. In the, in the letter of Hebrews, there are many Christians that are seeking to walk away, to go back to the Old Testament law, uh, to go back to Judaism, to abandon Christ. And there's a problem of people abandoning the faith. And the writer of Hebrews uses Haggai, to call these Christians and Hebrews back to repentance, these New Testament Christians. In chapter 12, verse 25, we read, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have, not, that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And see how the writer of Hebrews links what's going on in Haggai 
with defiled worship because the house is not being built and God's kingdom and offering acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And so Haggai is directly applicable to us and the New Testament itself shows that. God is a consuming fire. If we choose to walk away, we will be judged. We and our condemnation will be greater and more miserable in the life to come because we have the truth. Our God is a consuming fire and we need a holy fear as we renew our worship, our life goals, our affections for the things of God. As a, as a takeaway today, I would encourage you to study Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 13 and think about those sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13 uh, gives you a whole list of things that the New Testament defines as acceptable worship. Worship that is reverent and filled with awe, as the writer says in chapter 13, verse 16, uh, such sacrifices that are pleasing to God. I want you to consider those things. Really, from chapter 10 to chapter 13, would be worth your study as a New Testament way of applying Haggai as the church. <coughs> you know. So as I go to the states in the coming weeks, I go filled with uh, a lot of thanksgiving, a lot of happy stories, but I also go as pretty tired. You know, my I've been running hard for five years to to raise the money to come here to and money for the church to to exist. And I'm thankful for many people helping with that work, but I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty pretty tired, um, and I'm praying for renewal. I my prayer for you guys as I am gone for a season is that you guys would bring energy to Gideon and Peter who will be leading you, and energy to the church by everyone using their gifts to build up the body. I pray that you would bring energy to the church by inviting those people in your lives that you know need the gospel and bring them here to hear the gospel. I pray that you would bring energy and joy to, this, to each other because we are all built up and we are all energized by each other's work. And I pray that I'll come back reinvigorated for the work as well when I come back. But as we've seen in Haggai, the, the work of, of, of ministry is not just a pastor's job. It's the whole people's job, right? And, and the pastor's going to get burned out really quick if the people aren't doing the work because we're supposed to do it together. And I'm very thankful for the many ways that you guys here serve, serve the body. And I pray that this call of Haggai would simply be a call to kind of renew that vigor and seek to bring others so that we can reach Stavanger with the gospel more effectively and with more encouragement from one another that maybe if the Lord wills also, we can reach this nation more effectively with the gospel too. Because the, the temple that's being built is God's kingdom. It's his church. And if we want to have joy and life and abundance we will devote ourselves as pastor and as the congregation to that work together. So may he help us to do that with greater joy, greater energy, and with greater success in 2023.
Let's pray.